0: Welcome, everyone, to this The One White Woman podcast. My name is NeNe White, and I am so glad you're here to share in the learning and awakening about racism in America that I, as a white woman, have been pursuing since the day that I witnessed George Floyd's lynching. In this episode, Musa Deak and I continue our conversation about the invention of whiteness and its centuries-long cascading effects then we move forward to get more personal about Musadiq's life as a black man in America, the challenges he's encountered in an urban environment and the choices that he's made to move his life forward. As always, sharing conversation with this man is a gift because his honesty, his vulnerability, his intelligence and his openness bring out the best from both of us for real and enriching communication. Please be sure to check out the show's notes for valuable links and resources. And thank you, with all my heart, for being here to share these learning experiences. Musadeek, we're here again to talk about the invention of whiteness. Thank you for carving out the time again for this conversation.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: um, we left some things uh, that, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this topic, but uh, we'll try to get to some points that are, not, are huge carryovers from that initial invention of whiteness. So I wanted you to share with us what your insights are about the ramifications that were the definite out intended outcomes of the invention of whiteness. What would you like to share with us about
1: that? Okay, Um, well, there's a lot. Of course. Let's look at some of the documented uh, things uh, that we can all agree upon. Mm. Um, So after the emancipation of the slaves, 1863, uh, we had the Freedmen's Bureau enacted. Um, so, this was an attempt by the federal government to bring some sort of reparations, if you will, some type of equity, some type of uh, redress um, for slavery. Mm-hmm. However, um, it wound up doing several things, increasing uh, personal holdings for freed African Americans in some respects. Uh, the Freedmen's Bureau allocated 30 miles of land from the shore, uh, from the north as far as North Carolina and Southern Virginia, all the way down to Florida, that were Ooh. given to uh, freed enslaved people. Um, so there were land resources allocated, uh, part of Sherman's uh, 40 acre and a mule uh, plan. That was um, field order number 15 given. Um, however, uh, the great compromise made between landowners and the powerful uh, slave holding elite in the South also allowed some of them to retain elected positions and positions of authority in the federal government which allowed them to circumvent the mm. efficacy of the Freedmen's Bureau, mm. thereby returning these lands to former slave owners mm. and speculators. Um, so we see that there was attempt by the federal government and some philanthropists to kind of even the playing field as far as property and ownership. But again, the criminal element and those that had endured themselves to slavery and The slave holdings that still had power, Mm -hmm. used their power and prestige to circumvent that and return that land. So long story short, although about 800,000 acres of land was given to freed slaves, um, almost all that land was retaken. Federal funds were allocated to help them keep them, but it was ineffective because of the infiltration actually of the former Confederates that were still in parts of the government. Um, There were some positives though. I mean, the Freedmen's Bureau also was the first instance of the public school system uh, being instituted uh, both in the North and the South. Mm -hmm. And so you can thank the Freedmen's Bureau for our current system of public education. However effective or non-effective it is, it is a direct result of the Freedmen's Bureau um, and that pointing towards making the right moves towards the African-Americans here in this country.
0: There was no public education in this country before that?
1: That's correct.
0: I did not know that.
1: That's correct.
0: So, I, I hear what you're saying. And uh, I wonder if you can more directly relate it to the invention of whiteness, or is that too much
1: No, I think um, we briefly touched on it before that it became necessary for there to be this distinction of whiteness um, and then the other races, if you will, right. because of the property rights, ownership rights, Hierarchy that was set up here in, you know, the colonies and then the United States of America, written and into so, the laws. Yes, written into the laws. So if we go back again to those naturalization laws, those anti-miscegenation laws, all of these were inventions in, um, you know, in the documentation, but that just supported the erroneous theories that there was a white race, right. and that the white people had some type of God-given um, superiority, some innate um, abilities that were, you know, made them superior to the rest of humanity. Um, and so even those that, you know, sat around tables and came up with the actual laws that validated these theories knew better. However, there had to be some pseudoscience, there had to be some some documentation, some historical reference to these assertions made. Um, And so history is just replete with the renaming, the redefining, uh, the new rhetoric to cover up the old tactics of separating people by race.
0: Yeah. And it's just, I mean, as you said in the beginning of this conversation, it's just so startling when you start to become aware of how it is seeped into the very tiniest elements of our thinking and our interactions and our society and our laws and our education where it's completely a part of the fabric where we don't even notice it it's something that's completely not real
1: absolutely yeah let me bring to mind a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk, yes, um, which I try to, you know, keep in regular rotation and study. But for the purposes of our last two discussions, I really just wanted to review the second chapter of his book, mm-hmm. um, and it was about the Freedmen's Bureau. So, you know, absolutely imperative to our discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the last things he said in that second chapter is. Thus Negro suffrage ended a civil war by beginning a race feud. By beginning? A race feud. Oh. So this was, you know, hundreds of years ago. W.E.B. Du Bois wrote this book, you know, early 1700s, right? Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: His words are powerful. His words are still relevant today. Yes. If we look at the events of January 6 again, <laughs> it just harkens back to a time where we see that African in America were making progress. We're getting, you know, semblances of equality here in the states, um, and people holding on to old systems, old ways, old prejudices. You know, use everything at their disposal to revert our country and the laws and the customs back to that old way of separation, white yeah. supremacy and black inferiority. I wanna um,
0: have you talk about the concept of generational wealth and how the invention of whiteness affected generational wealth for african americans and then maybe okay. we can talk about heirs property because sure. I, I just learned about that and that's just one more you know dagger to the heart about the ugliness that's been perpetuated so uh, but to learn about that i think is helpful for all of us so whatever you can share with
1: us absolutely okay what was first i'm so sorry <laughs> no,
0: that's fine. Um, I, I guess this concept of generational wealth, because we hear that term, but okay. how that connects with the invention of whiteness. You right. Know, or,
1: yeah. Okay. Good. So good. again, if we, you know, looking back at the Freedmen's Bureau, which allocated Black lands and, you know, brought us this term that we're familiar with 40 acres and a mule. Yeah. Right. A promise that was never Realized. Right. Um, then we see that it was it, it was initiated, it was started. There were lands allocated to, you know, um, former enslaved people, um, but it was not extended. The Feminist Bureau was a temporary fix, and it was put under the Department of War. So, in that allocation of that of that department. Its very inception was a temporary institution because the United States looked at it as a remedy during wartime. This is at the end of the civil, mm. civil war. And so they placed it under the war department, which made it a temporary uh, institution, which should have been permanent. Uh, uh-huh. The problems were certainly deep enough, wide enough, and expensive enough to um, be addressed in a more protracted um, uh Program, however, it was not. There was not the foresight used to develop a more long range plan. Again, there wasn't the political will really. Yeah. Something needed to be done. I think all parties knew, but the effort to do so just wasn't um, a forthright and wholehearted effort. There was a checkbox uh, completion, if you will. We did something, now yeah. let's move on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. But to say that, this is the 100th anniversary of the Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma race riot, um, which was, you know, termed by the power that be." Um, but it wasn't a race riot. It was black people defending themselves from an right. angry mob Ugh. of over 10,000 white people, uh, based upon a false allegation um, of rape in an elevator by an elevator worker. Young white lady and um, an African American that happened to be in the elevator. The elevator jostled. He wound up falling forward and making contact with her. She cried rape. That set off um, the destruction of Tulsa, Oklahoma, formerly mm. Greenwood. And mm. again, this is the 100th anniversary. But the prime example of how Black land was taken um, mm. this cry of rape wound up destroying. 35 blocks of black businesses, oh, oh
0: my God. black
1: homes, a black town that was self-sufficient, that was thriving, and that again, um, the opportunity was taken on this false assumption to relegate these people back into poverty. Right. But there could be several, um, you know, I can offer several reasons, you know, why such a thing happened. Um, You know, this was years after Reconstruction and Black people had started pooling their resources, pooling their uh, intellectual property and ingenuity and developing their own communities across the country. Um, White people that had done so well um, were not as much in fear, but were certainly jealous and felt um, as though their resources were being taken in order to Better and or you know, grow the communities of other people. Not right. the case, but this was the rhetoric being used. Same right. rhetoric today, right? right, um, right. But, but this was the rhetoric being used and validated these people and allowed them to go and destroy this land. Um, and so and, that's just one of the most noteworthy uh, examples of you know, how our property was taken. But if we look in the sea islands of South Carolina, Hilton Head, South Carolina, to be particular, because right now, you know, that that's all a lot of touristy um, areas that was formerly heirs' property as well. And so,
0: okay, please define heirs' property.
1: Okay. Heirs' property is actually property that has been handed down from generation to generation.
0: From that original 30 miles or
1: that... Yes, from, from the uh, 40 acres of the mule uh, 800,000 acres, I'm sorry. 800,000 acres. But see, they were actually, you know, landowners prior to the end of slavery because they were free blacks. Right. So, you know, all this property that African-Americans owned, you know, prior to and during reconstruction became subject to this heir's property. Heir's property is actually this land, again, that was handed down but that that wasn't documented in such a way that it allowed the owners to retain that property. It didn't give them clear title to the land. So um, if we're looking at um, today, you go to buy a piece of property, then you have to have a title search, et cetera. Um, That was a snag that held up the clearing of title and then allowing people to uh, will their property to their heirs. It became part of the heir property, but there's a loophole in the law that kind of confuse the whole delivery and securing of that property for your next generations, And so you can have families of 110 uh, ten people to 100 people and I'm just throwing those numbers out there yeah. but that can own a parcel of land as heirs. Right. But if one person is willing to sell that land off, the entire property becomes jeopardized uh, and can be sold off if just one person is willing to sell their interest without
0: the rest of the 99 without people knowing about it
1: the rest of the uh, owners permission so it was a clever way of writing into law uh, a loophole that allowed crafty and shrewd business people and speculators to acquire black people's lands that were ignorant of the law and ignorant of you know the intricacies of such contracts
0: right because they didn't know what they didn't know, because nobody
1: told them. Nobody told. It wasn't in their best interest to be educated about the, you know, the fine points of a contract.
0: Right. But even <laughs> when the sale goes through, there's nobody on the side of the, the original owners to say, OK, so here are your rights. Not even that
1: was happened. Correct. And one of the things in the FEMA's Bureau that I you know, ran across here in my most recent uh, review is that the Freedmen's Bureau was actually tasked with, you know, making sure these contracts were fair. Ah. And so again, the, you know, they let us down.
0: Oh um, wow.
1: Because unscrupulous people were on both sides of the law there.
0: Money money money, 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 money.
1: Okay, we have to do this. It's the right thing to do. Now, how can we make it so that? If person is not astute and knowledgeable enough about the law that we can still make a profit, we can still hold on to these lands, we right. can still enslave these people or keep right. them in debt peonage. Right. And these things happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just you you keep coming back to education too, how important education is. And that was one of the one of the key elements of The enslavers of making sure that their enslaved people did not get educated because clearly they had the intelligence to do um, self-preserving actions that would protect their families if they had the reading skills that they were deprived from. So it's just... Uh, Okay, Musadik, I need a little sunshine here now. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. um, So, and then we can go back, but I just need to, you know, I need to hear something that's being done about all this. I think there are some laws that are trying to be enacted now. There
1: are. The USDA um, has what's called heirs property and land fractionation. Um, And its purpose is fostering stable ownership to prevent land loss and abandonment. Um, And so the federal government is working, you know, towards remedying the heirs property situation. And then there's also 16 states that have passed what's called the uniform partition law. And that allows heirs the first right to buy portions of the land to keep it in the family.
0: Uh So So everybody has to be,
1: go ahead. So so, so that it directly attacks that loophole that, you know, one person out of the group can sell off their interest, thereby jeopardizing the entire portion of the land. Right. Um, 16 states are now, you know, working towards remedying that particular uh, item in the law, if you
0: will. Oh, see, we need to hear that, you know, it's not all impossibly tilted towards the, you know, the, the, the wrong thinking. That's so, yeah, I have
1: to say that there are, there has always been forces of good right and forces right. of evil and you know self-interest right. working at opposite sides. Right. Um, the forces of good were not always in the best and powerful positions right. <laughs> and so they could you know have little effect on the overall goals that they had set right. um, but you know I can't discount the Philanthropy, the goodwill, the sacrifice that a lot of so-called white allies have made in history and are continuing to make, in order to you know hold this country accountable for the ideals that it espouses.
0: Uh, Do you have? So there is hope. Yeah. So
1: there is hope. Um, I mean, you know, John Brown gave his life and his son's lives, you know, uh, to attack Harper's Ferry. Um, which he probably knew was not going to be a total victory um, for himself and for the movement of you know, abolition of slavery. However, he made the sacrifice knowing that his death would not be in vain. Um, and Again, there are countless examples. Can't really think of anybody else specifically off the top of my head because I'm just in another space right now. Right. But we've always had allies
0: right um
1: even go ahead
0: well we've certainly heard of the uh what is that religion uh it's not a religion the quakers yes as a group they helped with the underground railroad and all that absolutely yeah. Um, yeah um yeah, it's it's really good to hear about those because then we can have some energy to find uh, organizations or individuals or laws or political candidates that are clearly working in positive, constructive directions. You know, and, and it does, it is happening. It does. Uh, there is some progress there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about on that subject? I mean, probably we could talk for 17 weeks, but.
1: Um, yeah, we could go on forever. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, there has to be an awakening in this country on yes. both sides, you know? Yes. Yes. We have to realize, you know, everything that we contributed to bring us to the current moment so that we can accurately decipher and analyze the current problems of the day.
0: I really, and we, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
1: And, and then we can look at the best of our traditions in history and see what worked and employ that. Um, we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Um, one of the things I love about the Black Achievement Fund is that it looks at the best practices in our history. And, you know, points us to those and uses those examples, the best practices from our traditions. And we try to work them into solutions for today. So relative to Black land, Black property, Black home ownership.
0: Black community Black building.
1: Achie- Black community building. The Black Achievement Fund has solutions built into its platform yes. uh, to address those things.
0: Yes. Very practical and I'm so proud to
1: be a part of that organization Yeah, um, yeah. to so channel my energy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I really appreciate how you uh, framed that last thought that, you know, people just, it's not, okay, this is the answer, but we have to wake up and see what's going on around us so we can analyze in, in ways that ring true for us what are right and fair solutions. And I mean, you said it much better than I did, but I just really respect that you you brought that because that is how you think, that is how the Black Achievement Fund operates, that there's never just one right answer, but there are right answers and there are wrong answers for sure. There
1: absolutely are. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. So I'm gonna shift gears here if that's
1: okay. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. previous conversations, a couple of two or three times, you have brought up from your past that you were in prison. And for me, that was like, oh, I don't know how to have that conversation. So I think I probably quickly just had some quiet moment and then brought up another subject. And I apologize for that, but that'll just show you what a wimp I am. But I think I want to learn more about that. I want to learn as much as you want to tell us about that experience, but I just want to invite you to bring out what, how you, you referred to it as a time of something good happening in your own personal life. And so I'd like you to emphasize that part too. Anything else you want to share with us about that
1: experience? Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, I was uh, about 23 years old and had just separated from the Navy. Was living in Baltimore County with my brother and a high school friend, white guy who's my best friend to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were all renting a townhouse. Um, I was working part time, and you know, a little disillusioned with my life. I was disappointed. Um, but I was just working and had run across some New York guys um, who kind of, you know, indoctrinated me into a different way of thinking Um, and so had me thinking counter to the prevailing uh, culture, you know, working every day, um, things of that nature Um, and introduced me to the nation of Islam. Um, Now, these guys were not authentic members of the Nation of Islam, nor were they living um, like members of the Nation of Islam. But in my ignorance, I had no idea. They just gave me a new vocabulary and a new way of looking at things, um, but really just kind of radicalized my brain and made me anti establishment. Mm. Um, So the first opportunity I got, I quit my job. And I started just hanging around these guys. um, And Long story short, they were selling crack cocaine in the neighborhood, Mm. not our neighborhood, an adjacent neighborhood. Um, And so they wrote me in by, you know, asking me if I wanted to be kind of a manager, just watching the block, bringing the work out there every night and bringing it home um, and getting paid like that. So Mm. I wasn't selling drugs, but I was part of the process. Mm. Um, Long story short, there was a robbery one night, I came home and the cab I was in was pulled over. Cab driver got out, did not defend me or say anything. I was pulled out of the back of the cab. I had a gun in my possession. I was in Baltimore City, three o'clock in the morning, kind of necessary, um, but- The gun was um, necessary? Yes, for personal okay. protection, you sure. kind of need a gun if you're gonna be on the street 3 a.m. in the morning. Sure. Baltimore City or you just need to stay in the house right um so long story short someone had gotten robbed i just rolled through the area was rolling back through and i fit the description i was arrested i had a handgun the gentleman that had you know been assaulted and robbed identified me as a robber and they took me to jail Uh, this is my first arrest i'm 22 years old no knowledge of the legal process, but I had faith in it uh, to mm-hmm. my own detriment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I knew I didn't rob anybody, but I knew I had a gun uh, and that was it. So long story short, I wound up taking a plea for the handgun, which gave me a conviction for a robbery uh, and gave me five years, no parole. Mm-hmm that was the least I could get, five years, no parole. Mm -hmm. I was looking at 40 and that's how they got me to cop to an armed robbery,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, coppers take a plea. Mm -hmm. So I took a plea, I got five years, no parole and started my time. Um, Now I grew up in Anne Arundel County um, and had moved to the city. And so I did not have a ready-made clique of neighborhood friends, associates, or family already inside that I could link up with and you know have a sense of security and familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, prison is a large warehousing project where um, there is a revolving door, so you know, people come and go. But most likely, if you're from a large urban area, if and when you get to prison, you're gonna see a lot of familiar faces. Um, because this is how the prison industrial complex works. Mm-hmm. It locks up a lot of people, puts them in jail. If you can afford, or you have the wherewithal, the resources to you know, get yourself the appropriate lawyer and legal representation, you may get out. Otherwise, a lot of people in jail are just there because they're poor and are ignorant of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see a lot of familiar faces if you're from the urban areas, which I was not. So long story short, I had a couple decisions to make, you know, uh, I could say to myself, which makes you a target and a victim, mm. or you can, you know, align yourself with some people uh, in order to have some safety and security. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't the social type, but I always respected my elders. So I grasped um, and gathered around a bunch of older uh, gentlemen that were you know incarcerated, and I just started learning and they started directing me to African American scholars that um, I had never heard of. Um, Dr. Francis Crest Wesing was one mm-hmm. um, Sheikh Anta Diop is another um, and I could just go on, but I just started getting into the history of my people that was written by my people.
0: Oh, can I just ask one question here? Like
1: Certainly.
0: when are the libraries or how do you get all this information? Do they make it possible for you to learn all this stuff and, or does it have to be secreted in or how does this happen? I always think of prisons as being more of the slavery world. Interestingly
1: and, enough, yeah. Um, at the time that I was incarcerated there was a prison um, college program. Okay. And so you had to work your way up in order to, you know Be eligible for that, but I was eligible. And so I enrolled in college and started college there. Um, And so with that, I had access to, you know, the library, I could also, um, you know, give list of books to my professors that came in. um, And they would bring us books if we, you know, if we requested them. So I had a very good history teacher who you know, was very welcoming and supportive and, you know, said he would bring us whatever he could get his hands on that we asked him to, to bring to us. Wow. And um, that was, you know, that was really my, my, my worldview education changed at that time when I was in prison. Um, I got a chance to sit down and study things that were not given to me or forced upon me, but right. that I was really interested in.
0: Right.
1: And so, you know, that allows you the freedom, that gives you the energy and the time, um, and the interest to just dig further and further and further. And you know, I kind of you know felt some some security in, you know, having that positive exercise to do every day, which right. was learn right. and take care of my body because that was another thing I focused on. Wow.
0: I mean I don't hear any anger or resentment
1: in your voice. Well, Um, not now. I certainly, you know, have dealt with that over the years. Yes. Um, I accepted Islam, you know, in prison. And that was a process as well. You know, I came up in the church. Um, I thought I had an understanding of Al-Islam before I went in. When I went in, I found out that I was totally ignorant and Uh just had, you know, a few phrases and a few words that I understood, but I didn't know anything about the ideology or the history. Um, and so that took me on another journey, um, you know, from the Christian church to the Moorish science temple of America, which was an early form of Islam, um, of African-American Islam in the United States, and then the nation of Islam, and then ultimately. Um, orthodox Islam, if you will, uh, the path of Sunni Muslims. And Sunni is just the tradition of Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. So you have two major sects in Islam, the Sunni and the Shias. Shias are more looking at the lineage of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the prophet of Islam. They looking at the lineage of you know, his descendants and their leadership. Um, Sunni Muslims uh, look at traditions, the traditions of Prophet Muhammad and his sayings, and they operate upon what he did and what he said, not on any um, successors. Um, and so those are the two basic types of Islamic teachings, and then you have all the rest. Um, so I had an a, a education process that opened my worldview, um, filled in a lot of the gaps in history that I just did not know anything about um, and just had a more, a better appreciation for history and, you know, had a hunger to fill in more of the gaps that, I, you know, I recognize that just had not been taught to me and they'd been purposely overlooked in my past. Right.
0: And um, I, I don't really know any, I, I do not know anything about uh, the nation of Islam or that as a religion or anything. And, and uh, you know, I, that would probably take...
1: Yeah, that uh, would probably be a conversation a for long, another day.
0: A long time of study, not just one even hour or anything. But I want to ask you if it's possible for you to share with us what, what it gives you, what you, how it, how it nourishes you or nurtures you, this religion that you have adopted now.
1: Let me say this, one of my first verses, I mean, one of my favorite verses and um, in, in the Quran they're called surah. Surah uh, is a chapter, ayat is a verse. So one of my favorite ayats is, you know, with difficulty comes ease, hmm. um, which is very simple, but it's profound, yes. right? Because if I look back at my history, And I'm talking about just my personal history. Yes. Right? The opportunity for growth for me has come in some of my lowest points. Yes. The opportunity for a better awareness for me has come at some of my lowest points. Um, My understanding, my involvement in the Black Achievement Fund came at another low point in my life. You know, when I was feeling helpless and hopeless last year. Uh, after George Floyd, yeah. you know, I came upon an organization that offered me tangible, concrete action steps, constructive, constructive. to get involved and bring yeah. solutions. Absolutely, yeah. right. And so right. that is one of the best examples of what Islam has done for me. It had gave me a different perspective on life. I can choose. I'm going to fall back to that cliche I use half full and half empty, right? I can choose to use um, what comes my way as an excuse not to push further, not to endure, not to seek the opportunity instead of focusing on the obstacle, or I can just be a victim of circumstance and not see my level of involvement, my level of spirituality, my level of Black excellence that can help me to rise above the current situation right. and you know be a better person, make a better contribution to society. So um, I think that sums up what Islam has done for me. Give mm. me a better outlook on on life, mm. um, and then it has also pointed me right. It has pointed me back even further to investigate and appreciate more of my African spiritual traditions mm. because. Islam begged the question, you know, to me, you know, what came before this way of thinking? And so I'm gonna continue to circle back always to my appreciation for the best in our African traditions because that's where I find my peace. That's where I find my awakening and uh, I get a better understanding of my current situation by looking at history and seeing how that has shaped me and shaped the world around me.
0: One thing that I always, I'm always hurt by and mystified by, but I think I sort of understand the mechanics of it is that it seems like some of the most beautiful and progressive and peaceful civilizations on this planet have been the ones that got attacked and dominated by the ignorant you know grubbing civilizations and i think it's just because but why why this mechan- mechanism i don't understand I, I haven't quite at all understood, but it's just like, we have to just be alert on all levels, you know, but the black civilization was so intelligent, creative and constructive, and yet it got attacked and consumed by these barbarians, if you will, these white barbarians. And it's because they weren't preparing to protect themselves because their vision was so constructive, you know? How do you put all that together? I, I
1: well we have to we have to understand first of all that we're one right yes that mankind has evolved right that man left the continent of africa I mean, of africa and populated the planet and so you know white people asian people they're our brothers and sisters they have um, evolved um, to their specific demographics Uh, based upon their location on the planet and after years of evolution, right? And being uh, segregated away from their African ancestry Mm -hmm. and then uh, adjusting to the climate changes, the dietary and all of that. Mm -hmm. So if we understand fundamentally that we are one, Mm -hmm. then that is gonna erase some of the barriers that we have artificially placed in front of ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That is gonna help us to empathize with the man or woman sitting next to us or behind us, right? And to see ourselves in that individual, to value that individual as we value ourselves. Yes. Until we do those things, you know, there's always going to be, and they could be black or white or Asian people operating from this worldview, right? That we have more not in common than in common and unfortunately the western world harps on the things that we have not in common in order to continue to divide us right right, right. to continue to hold on to and marshal the resources of the planet right um and so we just have to have a bigger world view we have to see ourselves in the world as one of the seven billion uh humans Right. And make no further distinctions than that.
0: Right. Even though there are lots of differences,
1: but thank goodness for differences. Oh my God. Absolutely. Please let's not all be the same. Yeah. So let's take our example from nature, right? My wife and I are walking a dog the other day. And um, you no, know, I just, you know, stopped and paused and was just looking at a small section of uh, the property that we live on. I live in an apartment but uh-huh. there's a little uh, path. And so I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, the greenery and the beautiful diversity in this small section um, allowed it to thrive, right? Right. So right. that's a clue to us from nature, Right. right? That diversity is the power, right? Diversity of thought, diversity of methodology, diversity of everything, right? Yeah. So if everybody comes together, adds their little bit that has value, yeah. right? It can be constructive. It can be beautiful. Right. But if we waylace to the entire landscape and then replace it with one crop, let's say that, right? The yeah. cotton. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happens to the land? Right. We, we 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 remove all the resources. We effectually kill that original resource so that it cannot be used in a way that is beneficial for everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It can still be used, but now it's, it has less of a diverse uh, 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 yield, right? So one or two parties can yield a great amount of money and resources and maybe, you know, uh, comfort from that. But if it was a whole plethora of things growing, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grasses, etc., cetera, and right. we're replenishing the land, we can continuously pull from it and never deplete it, and yet everybody can be benefited. Right. It's a kind of convoluted example, but I hope uh, it makes sense that the beauty is in the diversity.
0: The and, beauty uh, is in
1: the diversity.
0: And the success and the uh, growth and the progress, absolutely. Absolutely,
1: because conversely, death is in, a singularity of thought, yeah. Death and destruction is in a singularity of application.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we say there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? <laughs> a profound thing, though, <laughs> right? There's more than one way. Uh, probably not the best example. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> but there's more than one way to do a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So we, we, you know, we can't get stuck in this. This is the right way. Right. Those are the wrong ways. No. Right. Right. No. There's many ways to accomplish the task. Let's look at history and find the best way, the most successful way, the most beneficial way for all of humanity, not for a select group of people.
0: Right, right. Thank you, Musadik. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. I really love and appreciate and respect your wisdom, and your honesty, and your openness, and how much you have shared with us. We so, really
1: appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Is there anything more you want to share with us?
1: I'm sure I can, I can share a little bit more about, you know, the name choice. Um, ah. And why I found that so significant to me.
0: Musadiq, um, I love your name.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I never knew what my name meant. Brian K. Thomas yeah. is my given name. Yeah. My middle name is a family name, and so um, the closest relative to me that has the name K in it is my is my my cousin, uh, Patricia, female. So you know, no young African American male wants to be named after any female, <laughs> whether they respect them, love them, or not. So I always, <laughs> you know, was adverse to that name, even though it's a family name and that kind of does have meaning, right? Sure. Brian and Thomas did not. um, They were names given and chosen by, you know, somebody um, that just don't have any personal meaning to me. They don't point me in a direction. They don't give me an aspiration. They're not significant, Mm -hmm. they're just labels. And I've come to understand that naming things and labeling things is a fundamental way of, shaping our worldview, right? Mm -hmm. If we just look at poison and medicine, Mm -hmm. right? These are terms that can be used interchangeably, right? A thing, uh, arsenic, for example, is not inherently poisonous, right? It's the dosage. So arsenic is labeled as poison, but it's really the ability to cure and the ability to be toxic. Um, And so we have to relearn things.
0: Wait, I don't, wait, what? Arsenic, what?
1: Arsenic, the right dose can be detrimental and can be poisonous, right? I
0: don't know about that.
1: The right dose can be a cure. It can be... uh, A cure for what? Not sure. Oh. But all right, so let's take uh, venom or COVID, right? These things are... uh, named as diseases or poisonous venom right venom is also used in the cure right penicillin is a part of you know the actual uh uh now i can't even think of the word penicillin is a germ or bacteria right that yields a a uh a disease or sickness but what i'm trying to say is the thing has the ability to do both good and both bad. Okay. Okay. And so By us labeling it one, we negate the other. I see. And so that's, that's all I'm trying to say. And I'm sorry for confusing you now. that. In that.
0: <laughs> that's okay, I'm easily confused. But I always have to say, wait, what? <laughs>
1: So um, naming of things is important. That's the central thing I want you to take away.
0: Okay, yes, yes, yes. And I definitely agree, and we should not t- just take them without questioning them. So, so now let's get back to your name and the okay. significance of it, so.
1: I have always found it easy to lie. Huh. Um, I get it honestly, you know, we try not to hurt people's feelings. We try to be uh, liked. We try to be admired. Uh, and growing up as one of the only African Americans, I found it really easy to just go along to get along and shake my head yes a lot huh. when I wasn't sure or I, I just didn't agree, but I was scared to be my own person and to stand up on what I knew to be right. Uh huh. So I always found it easy to lie. You know, Mm. save myself or save somebody else. Mm. Lying came easy. Um, And so when I accepted Islam and I was looking at names, um, truth telling or one who tells the truth is a more accurate um, definition of my name. It it appealed to me because I want to be one who tells the truth. Uh I want to be authentic. Uh And so it's an aspiration for me. Um, And then Abdur Rashid in Islam, um, we use attributes of God, attributes of Allah. So Rashid is an attribute of God, meaning guide to the right path. Uh Abdur means servant of or slave of. Now African-Americans, we don't want to use that word slave, right? Right. So servant of, guide to the right path. Um, So that's my name meaning. I want to tell the truth and I want to be a guide or a servant to the most high who's the guide to the right path. So one who tells the truth and a servant of the creator. The creator is a guide to the right path.
0: So in your transition to one who tells the truth from one for whom it was very easy to not tell the truth. What are those moments when you have, what is that like when you have those moments of having to make a decision easy way or what I aspire to?
1: Great question. (laughs) I still struggle with it today. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not easy standing on principle. Mm And even today I'm more aware that I am standing in truth. Before I was kind of uncertain as I was, you know, studying and traveling and, you know, trying to get a better understanding of who I am.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Today I'm more aware, but I still find it difficult to have those hard conversations to to tell the straight truth to people um, when challenged. Um, And so I really don't have a lot of conversations outside of people that I know, people that I know are interested in what I have to say um, because it's just difficult. And I'm at the point in my life now at 52, God willing, in July, that I don't really have a lot of time to educate people who refuse to accept the facts. Mm Um, This is the misinformation age as well as the information age. Mm -hmm. We just Mm -hmm. have to make the choice. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be misinformed continually or are we going to take the time to inform ourselves?
0: Mm -hmm. Probably that's a good choice to not uh, give a whole lot of time to people who aren't interested in, you know, the values and the ideals
1: that you aspire towards. Yeah, it's personally frustrating. Um, You know, it's exhausting, anxiety producing. So, you know, I have to guard my own mental health. Right.
0: Right. But that's why it's so great to have uh, an organization to align with that has, you know, the same values. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, that's what I'm loving about the Black Achievement it Fund. It
1: Gives me, you know, tools and a direction to constructively use this energy I have. Right. Right. Instead of, you know, standing on a soapbox on the corner right. complaining. Right. Pointing at all the problems and problem makers. Right. You know, I can now be a part of the solution. Right. I can share the solution with others yeah. and I can get them to come on board and be more of a part of the solution. Right, uh, right. Because the conversations are being had, <laughs> you know, but work needs to be done and this is where we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where the reward is, uh, bottom line, that's where the reward is. And you and I have talked about that and and I just, you know, uh, I really respect your openness and your vulnerability. And I think anybody who meets you and knows you will feel the same way. And if they don't, so be it, onward, onward. So
1: be it, right? <laughs> right. But see, I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy concerned with who likes me and how can I get them to like me
0: Right.
1: Uh, to my own detriment. Yeah,
0: yeah. But that's just one of those lessons we learn as we're growing and growing yep. up and everything. that Can't please all the people all the time. Just can't be done. It is not going to happen. You uh, know?
1: That's right. And if yeah. you are, something is wrong with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh. Being a people
1: pleaser, you're not an authentic person. Exactly. You can't be. Yeah, yeah. You can't be. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So what I love about the Black Achievement Fund too is that it's, it's vision is so clear and it's so positive and it's so constructive. And there are so many challenges to be addressed, but it's doing it in integrity. Uh, what what can I say? It's as simple as that. It's honest and it's integrity and um, transparent. And yeah, I'm so glad we met through the Black Achievement Fund and I'm so glad that they uh, uh, allowed me to be part of that whole great organization as a white person. So am I.
1: Yeah. <laughs> know, um, we need people um, we need allies but allies that you know have integrity. Right. Um because we've had you know fence sitters in history. Uh Martin Luther King turn talks about, you know, the silence uh, or the complicity in the silence, right? Mm. And so you know, we have to be aware of that. We have to um you know re-energize ourselves to get out there and do something every day mm-hmm. you know in order to combat this system
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: or at least again mitigate our involvement in it mm-hmm. um, because it takes all kinds you know I understand that you know I'm not the kind of person who is going to get into verbal altercations and then prepared to take it to the next level with all type of violence, et cetera that's just uh-huh. not in my in my You know, DNA. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I will say is, I don't negate the necessity for that type of reaction at some time. Um, I am a student, and, uh, you know, I appreciate the words of our ancestor, El Hajj Malik Al Shabazz, you know him as Malcolm X, Uh you know, who said, by any means necessary. Now those words were taken out of context because, you know, to the oppressor, right, any means necessary mm-hmm. is an acceptable term, right? We're going to do whatever we need to do, to, you know, eradicate the threat or to mitigate, you know, deaths or, or um, collateral damage, if you will. All these terms are used.
0: Mm-hmm. However,
1: when African Americans say things of that nature, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it becomes divisive. He was called the prophet of hate. Yeah. Uh, things of that nature. So, yeah. you know, again, back to the labeling, you know, yep. we have to take it upon ourselves to understand you know, historical content, right? And we have to be able to analyze what's going on today in light of that history. Yes. Um, and then come up with our own you know, conclusions uh, and then look at the best, again, the best traditions in history in order, to, uh, in order to deal with them.
0: Right. Uh,
1: and so that's what the Black Achievement Fund is doing, looking at you know, the best examples in our history and bringing those ideas and those solutions forward so that we can use them present day.
0: Right. You know? and, and not to divide, but to, to, to grow. And whoever is, can see a vision like that, please, please do feel welcome and join. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. See, the the beauty of it is just like um, the result of the Freedmen's Bureau, right? Um, Both Black and white people benefited uh, from the public education system being instituted, right? Right. And so we should not always look at things as though we're polar opposites. Right. Right. We should find the beauty of it, the commonality. Of its purpose, and you know use it for the benefit of humanity, and not just the segment, exactly not what can I get out of it? Right. What can we get out of it? What can humanity benefit right. from the black achievement?
0: Form? right and so it brings it back to that whole concept of the invention of whiteness, how it it really doesn't serve everybody in the big picture. it really it really weakens the whole fabric of society. It really does. This is not like some kumbaya kind of philosophy or anything. It's just very practical, you know? And people, if they can open their minds and hearts to analyze how that might be true, analyze in their own terms, do their own homework, do their own research, and that's that's what you're saying. That's that's all we're saying in this, you know, people have to come to these conclusions on their own, but to be open to see things differently from the miseducation that is so pervasive. Is what we are here for you and I right now. Yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you, Miss All right. File. Okay, well. I'm going to say goodbye now, but I'm going to put up the site for the Black Achievement Fund in the show's notes, I'm going to say how easy it is to um, join and become a member for just $9 a month uh, to support this this uh, opportunity to help create and strengthen the Black community for everyone's benefit. Um, and you know, I think it's so important to just bring out the fact, and this is one of the reasons that I was so happy to join to find the Black Latino Con- because I keep seeing and having it being repeated over and over from different sides, from different YouTube channels, from different all kinds of perspectives that Black people do not see it as an either or, even though white people have perpetuated that uh, perspective. And so the Black Achievement Fund is all about that inclusive thing. And that's just really important for people to own and to understand. That's real. It's not, uh, it's not a fairy tale.
1: Yeah. Um, um, and relative to just the property thing, the, the Black Achievement Fund has several things in place to you know, address that. Yes. They've partnered with the Freedom Georgia Initiative. Yes. Uh, Freedom Georgia Initiative is 19 black families that purchased a hundred acres of land, actually 97 acres of land. <laughs> um, and they they wanted to grow this into the minimum of 600 acres in order to develop a black municipality, You know, mm-hmm. similar to the black Wall Street in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so Uh, The Black Achievement Fund had been around, but they partnered with them and, you know, adopted this model. And so the Black Achievement Fund has worked with them to now grow that property to 500 acres of land. Um, And Black Achievement Fund members are going to have the first right to purchase that land. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. That's a solution. Yes, uh, and so I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the organization for you know having that as a fundamental, you know, principle in there. Yes. Uh, in addition, uh, G- Freedom Georgia is just going to be the model community yeah. because it is growing from you know just from bare land, but that will be the model community for this type of replication all across the country.
0: Okay.
1: And again, you know, tying this into Tulsa in the 100th anniversary, Um, we have membership out there. Derek Smith is doing an excellent job out there growing the organization, calling attention to the 13 black towns that I did not mention. Tulsa was only one, Uh, I'm sorry, Greenwood was only one of the 13 black towns in Tulsa. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And so the Black Achievement Fund is bringing both an awareness, resources, um, and now, We're looking at bringing people to these areas Mm -hmm. so that we can repopulate, we can Mm -hmm. change the demographics, Mm -hmm. the political power base. The educational um, systems. The educational systems. And so, you know, the Black Achievement Fund is moving forward um, consistently, uh, cautiously, but consistently, uh, but with our 10 guiding principles and these 12 program departments, uh, we're making a difference. And I'm just so, so proud to be part of the organization.
0: I am too. I am proud and humbled. Actually, after I talk with you, after this conversation, very soon I'm get, going to have Ashley Scott, who oh, is, wonderful. Yeah, she's going to be with me on the, this podcast. She is the, what is her role with the She Freedom, is
1: the president of the Freedom Georgia Initiative yes. and also a, a board member of the Black Achievement
0: Fund. Yes. So
1: that's gonna be a wonderful conversation. Oh, she is uh, a <laughs> firefighter. Also a realtor. So right, she's front yeah. and center in this, uh, yes. this uh, property. Uh, yeah. um, heirs property thing.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, that I'm just really looking forward to that. So thank you for bringing that up. Cause that's sure. Mean, yeah, that'll and be- And
1: relative to the um, heirs property, there is another wonderful organization called the 40 Acres Project. Okay friend of mine, Adrian Lipscomb, uh, runs this nonprofit organization. And um, it was born after the uh, death of George Floyd as well, but she got a lot of, and she's out in um, Wisconsin, formerly from Texas. Okay. Uh, but she has a restaurant out there and a lot of her patrons were asking her, you know, how they could help. And she suggested that, you know, people donate money to help, you know, black people hold on to their land. Okay. And so she started um, getting large donations last year in July, I believe myself, uh, Adrian, my brother and his wife, um, because we're part of another organization called Maloma. And we can talk about that another day. Okay. um, Celebrating the uh, uh, history of African foodways in the United States. Um, So anyway, Adrienne had a hundred thousand dollars of donations, and her mission is to, you know, go to these property tax sales and auctions across the country oh. and help black farmers and black landowners, um, you know, regain their property. And that's a beautiful thing. So I wow. encourage people to check her out and support that.
0: Wow. Okay, so you're gonna send me that link, and I'll put it in the show's notes. Absolutely. Because we need to hear about these. You know, we need to hear about these intelligent, creative, constructive solutions that are healing, healing the wounds. Yes. So we can contribute to them in whatever way feels, or at least our attention, share the word about it so that there isn't this pervasive sense of hopelessness. Oh, well, there's nothing that can be done because that is not true. That is not true.
1: Absolutely not. So Absolutely not true. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something we can do.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, and there are plenty of good people to align with, so.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank you, Musa Thank you. Thank you.
1: Let me leave you with an African proverb, if I I may. Perfect. You know, if you think one person cannot make a difference, spend a night with a mosquito. (laughs) So just think about it.
0: What's your take on
1: that? Think about how worrisome it is when there is a mosquito in your presence. Yes. Uh, and if you can't get it out of there, the havoc it can it can have on you,
0: right? right. So right. it
1: can affect you. Yes. Uh, it's so small, almost insignificant, right. but it can do things that we, need, we wouldn't even dream of. You know, it can shut us down or it can energize us to clean the entire house.
0: Yeah.
1: So you know, one person, one entity yeah. uh, can have a profound effect on humanity, yes. how, how human beings relate to one another.
0: Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. And that's today. what one
1: white woman is doing.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I am a mosquito, that's for sure. <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay with that.
1: Did I say that? <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. I kind of <laughs> doesn't
1: did, though, matter. I mean, that.
0: we all just have to do what we have to do from, yes. from the inside out, you know, and whatever that, that is, we have to just honor it and not worry about will it have an impact? We just do what we what we feel is right to do. That's all.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: All right, my friend. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Uh, okay. We'll talk soon.
1: Yeah, and and send time.
0: me those notes of, of anything that you want me to, con, you know, for websites that people can
1: access. Sure, will do. Follow we'll up do. right with that, okay?
0: Thank you so much. Okay, All lots right. of love.
1: Okay. Lots of love to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: So much to learn and understand, eh? I'm deeply grateful to Musadik for all that he so generously and I would say courageously shared with us. Please be sure to check out the resources Musadik provided in this show's notes, one of which is a link to a Gutenberg e-book copy of W.E.B. Du Bois's book, The Souls of Black Folk, which is considered a classic. It's been on my must-read list for a while, but uh, clearly it needs to be bumped up to the top. And one more thing, please help more people to learn about this podcast by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help to make this podcast more visible for others who, like us, want to be more than uh, stating the obvious that Black Lives Matter, but who want to increase awareness and understanding, which is the sole intention of this podcast. Thank you.